Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Oh, yeah, we're doing it again. We're back. We're doing, doing it. it again. Uh-huh. Um, it's a week. We're back. A dinosaur story. Uh, uh, wait, we're back to dinosaur. Di- no, not that one. Oh, dang it! All right, I have fond memories of that. I'm sure it's problematic for some reason now. Um, <laughs> I just know that it might be the worst movie John Goodman. Oh, uh, re- you're. Oh, that's a hot take. Uh, uh, Flintstones leaving Rock Vegas or whatever it was. <laughs> Uh, bold, <laughs> bold take, my friend. Also in that really I'm bad, the spicy one. Wasn't he today. also in that st- shitty Steve Carell movie where Steve Carell was Noah? Uh, feel like John Goodman hasn't exactly been doing bangers. Oh God, he might have been. I think he was the bad, evil. We don't support climate was, change, Senator. He was also in, in the Blues Brothers remake that was supposed to be a. Okay, so what we're saying is John Goodman's never made oh, yeah. a good no. He movie. was he was in the the Blues Brothers remake that was supposed to be a sequel that was really a remake where they literally had the same jokes. Yeah, yeah. So, so John Goodman hasn't made a good film. He was in Big Lebowski. Okay, so John Goodman's made one good film. That's the exception that proves the rule. John Goodman does not make good movies. He went to my university. That is a strike against. I'm going to kick you in the head. Look, dude, I liked Arachnophobia. It doesn't make it a good movie. I mean, come on now, man. People like the Marvel movies. Oh, we are just burning our audience to the ground today. None of them are going to be there. Um, But that being said, um, I don't know, man. Shit sucks. Everything's bad. Uh, World's on fire. A lot of great stuff happening. Um, uh, Fantasy football season's back, so I'll distract myself with that garbage show. I appreciate global warming creating a deadly fire that spans half the country and then putting it out in one state by giving us wacky snow the day after 90 degree weather. That is one upside, I guess, to lighting the entire western seaboard on fire. Is that people don't complain about the snow? Sure. We'll go with that. We'll go with that one. Not that the entire Western seaboard is on fire and a uh, very serious shout out. Any comrades out in the Northwest Pacific, yeah. Northwest California. Re- I mean, I have, I mean, I've been seeing pictures. I've seen discord of people. Uh, I mean, it, it looks, I mean, it, it looks like hell on earth. Like it's just ash oh, yeah, and no. evacuation and stay and safe. That's, and, and this is not, so again, this is, this is very much a, a policy of capitalism, subtle colonialism. You know, this is something that, Indigenous groups had managed burning, you know, control burns for hundreds at least, probably thousands of years. And these forest fires weren't a thing. They just naturally learned to take care of the forest that way. If it's not profitable, it doesn't happen in capitalism. Now we got big fires and then we put it out with prison labor. Yeah, that's always good. And then not only is, is global warming getting worse, um, which is going to make these fires happen more and more exacerbated and other worse natural disasters sharknados. Um, but sharknados uh, but as that's happening of course these were put out with prison labor with prison slave labor and just as an idea of how bad prisons are you know prisoners want to go and do this slave labor because it's even worse to be stuck in prison with no real rehabilitation you know oftentimes being abused raped thrown into solitary confinement. And so they will go with this like $5 a day, risking their lives fighting forest fires. Uh, the reward for when they come out of that can't be firefighters. Is that because they're, yeah, they can't be firefighters because they, they were felons and you're not allowed to be a firefighter anymore because you're a felon. So, you know, woohoo building great experience, which I think is always the excuse for this prison slave labor building experience. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, like every you know, unpaid internship in I ever had, which is high. This qualifies you for yeah. nothing. Uh, this is, of course, in California, which has the largest women's prison population. It's like the leader of, of imprisoning Go women. Kamala. And of course, these are largely 
women prisoners that are, are doing this. Um, and these women prisoners don't, and, and even the male prisoners that were sent to these uh, forest fire brigades uh, aren't available because the casual eugenics genocide of man, let's just let COVID fester in the prisons has been going on and everyone's too sick with a deadly respiratory pandemic to go fight the fires and capitalism because it's not profitable has no other option the only option to put out forest fires that is profitable enough for anyone to lift a finger and give a goddamn shit is prison slave labor so when that falls through just like with everything else with capitalism there's not actually a solution well, and of no, course no, no. this David, is at the David, end you are on you are discounting the actual real solution which is my venture capital funded crowdsourced app where i'm going to make uber for bucket brigades and we are going to arms across america <laughs> take water from the east coast and get it over to the west coast in a disruptive app-based platform where everyone holding a bucket is an independent contractor uh hit that, me up in the dms guys i got I've, I'm, I'm taking vc funding that- that would be the capitalist style, especially the modern capitalist style in California, United States solution, except even that's not profitable enough. So no one's even pulling like that you shit or not, Elon Musk would be all over it. You have not seen my bottom line, good sir. I have hired Elon's accountants. <laughs> I can make up numbers as well would, as anybody. I have heard exactly zero Elon Musk bitch fest for people not using his scuba gear. So I I, I don't believe Silicon Valley. I wonder if Elon, Elon just goes out there with that stupid boring company flamethrower and is like, we're gonna use fire, we're yeah. gonna fight fire with fire. Like, yeah, go go get it. Go get it, you and, chuckle fuck. And of course, of course, this is all on the tail end of um of several, I mean, years and years and years of these fires, including earlier this year, uh, Brazil was twice, like, or I guess it was last year, uh, Western Brazil was lit on fire by, I think it was Cargill, but somebody wanted to just knock down and, and, and eliminate, like, genocide the shit out of indigenous people in the area. And then they blamed Evan Morales for it. This was part of the excuse for Extinction Rebellion <laughs> got behind the coup because they're totally not a bullshit op. Um, and then... Don't you know, call anybody an op. Morales, even We're though he canceled for that now. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> you can't do that. Um, and and to be fair, I mean, there is plenty of people who volunteer to be ops with no coordination and not getting paid because they're just that ideologically empty. Uh, but Extinction Rebellion, I don't know. It just seems too well funded and getting too much attention. They had. I'm uh, sorry. That video of them just sitting in the park waving plastic bags around. With the plastic nah, bags. If that isn't. Oh, if you're not getting paid by a government to do that, you, I'm bringing. I'm I'm authorizing bullying. Right now, bully them. Yeah, Bu- make yeah. fun of them on well, the internet and, and, like a and Kennedy. Their strategy was their strategy for years was get anybody who realized that that we're not actually solving uh, global warming and get them arrested. Like totally not an op. Um, <laughs> and they, of course, you know, hated all official imperialist enemies. Like again, you know, Evo Morales. Um, so that had happened. Well, Brazil is actually still burning. So people now realize california's burning they completely forgot brazil is still burning I mean, australia burns uh, and for like just, an entire solid year we just light half the country on this fire is, this is shortly after australia burned for a year and australia we think of australia as a pretty big island you know it's just north of australia and is the fourth most populous country in the world indonesia. right behind the united states indonesia Bam, got one right geography People do not realize that Indonesia was recently on fire. All of this stuff. So isn't Jakarta? All isn't Jakarta this, in? Sorry, apologies. Isn't Jakarta like the capital of Indonesia? Uh that sounds right. Yeah, 
Um, I'm usually good with geography. Yeah, no, I'm usually so god awful at geography, right but I, for, for whatever, because right. I know I know Jakarta is like the most populous city on the on the planet. Um, and I'm pretty yes, sure Jakarta is the. I mean, I know it's in Indonesia. Indonesia. So, um, but so it's, the, the so you're saying that Indonesia was on it is fire? The, yes, it's the capital. You said Indonesia's on fire. Was was because on fire. Jakarta is all like making the rounds now because it is going to fall. It's like gonna. It's like climate change. Uh, like obvious target numero uno it's fa- it's gonna sink into the ocean it's the most populous city in the world oh, yeah, it's I gonna mean, sink into the sea so half of it's on fire and oh, the other oh. half is being taken by neptune nothing's going on here indonesia is clearly like the the ultimate flashpoint of global warming it is what a thousand seven thousand thousands of islands thousands of islands and it, it's in the Pacific Ocean that the, you know, that real big ocean It's the fourth most populated country in the world, just behind the United States ahead of, I think Brazil is next. Okay. Yeah. I think Brazil's next after them, but it's, it's something in that range. Um, Jakarta has and, 9 million people. And, Jesus. Yeah. Jakarta is an extremely populous city. And it is, a, I knew it was the biggest city and I knew it was there. I didn't know it was capital. So it is the capital. Look at you getting, getting geography. politics and geography ahead of me. Good job. Uh, that city itself is going to sing the sea, but you also have all kinds of islands that are going to get swallowed up. And then of course it is dealing with other natural disasters. Like I said, it was just on fire Um, through all that. Nobody's paying attention to that shit because U S chauvinism. So people only pay attention Uh, to the wildfires that happen here. And on top of all that, this was a, this particular one was started by a fucking gender reveal party, which was not the first giant wildfire started by a gender reveal party. Man, gender. And people's reaction to that. Defund and people's gender. reaction to that. <laughs> yeah, no, true. I mean, yes. again, that, that's a, there's a problem with gender reveal <laughs> parties. People's reaction to that is, of course, you know, blame the stupid person, which they should share blame and gender reveal parties are bullshit. But by the same token, there was a wildfire, what, like last year that was started by a homeless guy on accident. And, and they wouldn't be this big and they wouldn't happen every year if it wasn't systemic. And the way the system wiggles out of blame is always blaming the individual. So yeah, I mean, rip on gender right. reveal parties, but don't lose focus and, and, and bitch about that. This is a systemic issue. Don't play their game of blaming individuals. We're um, also going to have yeah, minor mean, correction hour. Lots of fire. Having minor correction hour because Ooh, I don't want, I don't need y'all. Th- I love y'all. Don't need you in the DMs for this one. This is an easy, si- this is an easy fix. Uh, Indonesia Ooh. is the fourth most populated country in the world behind China, India, the United States is more populous. Uh, and then Pakistan mm-hmm. is right behind uh, Indonesia. Pakistan. Pakistan is the uh, Middle Asia country, Pakistan. Middle Eastern country that, that you were thinking okay. of. Uh, and then okay. it's Brazil. Okay. So United States, okay, so United close. States, still still bigger close. than Indonesia. Indonesia, still yeah. Jakarta, still the largest city in the world, and it is sinking into the yeah. sea. Yes, no, absolutely, major major problem. And I mean, there's huge gaps. A fourth sounds huge. Even the United States oh, is yeah, like no, a it's, billion people it's behind depressing. India. Like, like and we're China's at, we're a fourth the size of India. Or China's China. at yeah. one point. China's at one point four billion. India's at one point three billion. United States at three. Uh, drop just a billion off India, and that gets us. Yeah, and then Indonesia's at, <laughs> but Indonesia's like right 269,000. So you know about a hundred million yeah. less. We'll, yeah. we'll round a hundred million less, give or take seventy-five million. Maybe. Okay, okay, that's actually more of a gap than I well, thought. Well, you know, when your when your country um, is sinking into the ocean actively, maybe maybe you're going to have kind of hard it's to keep harder a to keep population. that up yeah. when you're actively sinking in. Now, then again, yeah. we're on fire. So uh, who gives a shit? Uh, do you want to read true. stuff? Let's read I'd a love book. To, let's go from this depressing topic to the South was too <laughs> astonished for belief. Oh, my heavens. 
That's that just seems like a thing that it said. We are starting on page 186, last paragraph of 186 in Black Reconstruction. The South was too astonished for belief when it saw industry and democracy in the in the North united for a policy of coercion. Who could imagine such a thing? In the past, the South had always been able by mere gesture of concession to bring northern industry to its knees begging. Oh my I love this book so goddamn much sometimes. It did not realize mm-hmm. how strong capital I industry had grown and how conscious is power and how boundless its plans. Capital's figuring it out. It did not realize that the basis of the South's own power had literally been swept away. Even the West, on which the South had long counted in theory, although sympathy had seldom led to effective action, while it fought industrial monopoly, the national debt and the money power, yet when it had to choose between a con continuation of southern oligarchy and a great demographic democratic movement swung inevitably towards democracy northern capital went south and vied with the planters for the direction of the negro vote the poor whites scurried to cover now here now now there and a dictatorship of labor ensued with a new democratic constitution new social legislation public schools and public improvements but of that we shall speak more in detail in later chapters oh i want to hear about that um Ooh. That's gonna be this book is catalog. Do not do not sell it short on that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. On the other hand, northern industry seemed at last free and untrammeled. That is not trampled. I didn't read that wrong. It's untrammeled. Uh, it began in 1876, an exploitation which was built on much the same sort of slavery which it helped overthrow in 1863. It murdered democracy in the United States so completely that the world does not recognize its corpse. One more time for everybody in the back. On the other hand, Northern industry seemed at last free and untrammeled. It began in 1876, an exploitation which was built on much the same sort of slavery, which it helped to overthrow in 1863. It murdered democracy in the United States so completely that the world does not recognize its corpse. It established as dominant an industry, a monarchical system, which killed the idea of democracy. Page 187, just Du Bois doesn't stop can't stop won't stop doesn't stop holy shit that is just yeah that rings true the basis of the argument for negro suffrage has usually been interpreted as a gesture of vengeance but it was much deeper than this it was phrased first by linko himself as a method of retaining the jewel of liberty and the family of freedom this was echoed however unwillingly by andrew johnson as a sop to the to the radicals but it gradually came in the thought of the nation to be an inescapable thing. Votes for Negroes were, in truth, a final compromise between business and abolition and were forced on abolition by business as the only method of realizing the basic principles of abolition democracy. All of the selfishness, cunning, and power that were back of the new industry of the North have been looked upon as simply the other side of abolition democracy. And the reason for this was that in several cases, the two ideas were mingled in individuals' minds. One can see that in sermons of Henry Ward Beecher, who was a great advocate of votes for Negroes, but nevertheless instinctively capitalistic, standing on the side of the exploiter. He had scant sympathy for the exploited. There was something of this, although not nearly as much in the case of Thaddeus Stevens, who was at his heart the greatest and most uncompromising of abolitionist Democrats, but who advocated not only universal suffrage and free schools, but protection for Pennsylvania iron. 
Yet in that protection, he had just as distinctly in mind the welfare of the laborer as the profit of the employer. Okay, that paragraph, especially the last two chunks there, especially the Stevens Mm -hmm. chunk, should jump off at you right now with the discourse in capitals as it exists. You have yeah. a guy. Yeah, I mean, 100%. The, the, the problem with the abolitionists and, and how this failed was the exploiters were really, they, they might have been like, maybe on a conscious level against slavery personally, maybe they didn't personally benefit, but they were on the side of slavers. They, they're on the side of exploitation. And the most prominent abolitionists, even humanizing black people and feeling empathy for them, were on the side of exploiters. That's just the way it went in this country because hey, it is an exploitative settler. Thaddeus colony. Stevens is a is the most liberal. He is called he his his little his faction is called Capital R Radical. He is a, can, he is called actively yeah. a radical member of Congress. The Radical Republican. They were they were as left as you could get. Quote unquote. That was the left wing of your party, and yet instinctively capitalistic. Electoral politics at their core, again, he sees Stevens advocated for universal suffrage, free schools. And then he talks about, well, he cares about the protection of the laborer as much as the profit of the employer, but protection for Pennsylvania iron. Because at their core, you cannot, until you rip out the base, you are never going to get rid of the Mm -hmm. fact of the contradiction that at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. they have to save the system. If that, if that base gets, if that base stays intact, you're always going to have these candidates that you will pump up for all their little left, you know, their, their little left liberal loving ideas and all of their great, great, Oh, socialism in America and all this stuff. If they are running in electoral politics in America, this is the compromise you're going to get every single time there's a reason that we it talk is a ab- dictatorship of the bourgeoisie yes. meant to uphold a settler that's colony. all it's there that to do what it is and this again is a that's perfect, all it's there to do is all it ever will this be. is the this is the half paragraph in history that bernie sanders will get mm-hmm. this is it this is his little mm-hmm. this is his little chunk oh he advocated for x y and z yeah he still upheld imperialism at every turn and 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 was generally a a pretty willing ploy of, of capital as it went along um but he said good stuff sometimes and you know gosh darn it that got people excited sometimes don't mm-hmm. be that. And this is exactly where I say, you know, obviously left and right are always going to have a colloquial poll. And if anything, they, their bastardization, instead of staying true to them, causes more problems because that's when you say like, you know, it's, it's harder to get people to say on the side of the worker because you can just define whoever the hell the worker is um, and, and just, just, you know, make words mean whatever the hell you want. Uh, but the, the colloquial idea of left and right, Right is where you can separate, say, socialism from fascism, and not fall into this whole like horseshoe theory. And they were both violent trap that takes no context and no and all the ideology out of shit. Um, but in spite of its colloquial pull and its natural tendency, and the fact that as much as I hate it, it still just comes off the tongue and is useful and generally understood. I will tell you 10 times out of 10, left versus right as a scale is usually not very useful. You're looking at materialist analysis of specific issues in specific situations, issue by issue, and it really comes down to 
who do you stand with and what is your what is your the reason what is your long-term strategy that means a lot more than left or right as much as those are quick to say and drilled into people's heads so yeah i mean i think when you when you kind of either correctly spoke or misspoke whatever you want to consider it calling thaddeus stevens the most liberal in the congress there um rather than most left and they came back and said left i think that that defined it the best because um you know the best you could do leftwise was black people are human beings and within the colloquial the usually societally expected left that's that was extremely radical at the time and that is very much left. look at look at the and line yet, economically schools. he was far right free schools 1867 mm-hmm. yeah, we're talking about free education we're having the same fucking yeah. argument right now what the fuck changed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 150 mm-hmm. years of progress I mean, I, I for think, what? I think the difference here is this was free schools like, you know, I, I mean, K-12 type I know, stuff. But, but nonetheless, it is the same discussion. Sh- exactly, but it yes. shows, again, the level of, 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 okay, that was considered a radical ask for them and he had to get that far to ask for oh it. sure and even now i mean I, I i'd say it's k through 12 but both parties have been trying to push the the charter schools i and mean the vouchers they've redlined and, and gutted it where like it's that they've been gone. they've gutted funding yeah absolutely uh throughout the whole thing we talked about this earlier in the book because it comes up a million times uh funding whether it was that way right off the bat or it's a newer phenomenon i'm not sure quite the, the i'm sure down we're gonna learn in this book that. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it probably started universal and got hammered out. But but school funding is localized. Uh, that way, you know, you can have white, wealthy neighborhoods with quote unquote good schools, and wealthier, whiter people are going to be more centered to go there and and push the poor out. Um, and then you're going to have the school to prison pipeline be in these poor, blacker neighborhoods uh, because you know, I mean, again, it's school funding. It's it's a strategy where it's either you know you on a personal level are not going to make the best move and hate your children if you can't afford it. I mean, a lot of times you just can't even afford it and you have a community be by. But so much as you can afford to move and pick a choice, you're either like dogging your own children for a principle or you're reinforcing white supremacy. That's the whole point of the system being like that. And it just allows for this intense segregation. And that's why busing is such a flashpoint because bus- busing cuts into that segregation, even if it's only very select individuals that essentially get policed through the process to if they get to be bussed, it still undercuts the entire system of segregation. Yep. <sighs> what then was the strength of the democratic movement, which succeeded the war? In many respects, it was emotional. It swept the land with its music and poetry. Hearing that again. A war which, to the intense dissatisfaction of the abolitionists, had begun with the distinct object, even on the part of the great emancipator, to save and protect slavery, and in no way to disturb it, except to keep it out of the competition with the free peasant of the West, had resulted in emancipation. Men like William Lloyd Garrison, who had no sympathy with the platform of the Republicans in 1860, became suddenly the center of the stage of the new dispensation. Thus, a legal metaphysical dispute involving the right of slave states to expand into territories was rapidly changed, first to a question of freedom for slaves, then to a struggle for inaugurating a new form of national government in the United States. Take it. When the physical war ended, then the real practical problems present, presented themselves. How was slavery to be effectively abolished? <laughs> that one's a little unanswered hmm. still. <laughs> 
and what was to be the status of the Negroes? What was the condition and power of the states which had rebelled? The legal solution of these questions was easy. The states that attempted to rebel had failed. They must now resume their relations to the government. Slavery had been abolished, and as a war measure, this should be confirmed and extended by constitutional amend- amendment. <laughs> and this is why anytime someone – not that it should be breaking news to this audience, but just to remind anyone, if anyone talks about being a constitutionalist or loving the constitution – uh, they they push the word constitution because they really want or, or bill of rights because they really want to push the first 10 amendments because 13 through 15 for as much as they just like compartmentalized slavery into prison labor and actually made a constitutional amendment that slavery was legal um, technically abolished slavery and that's just not cool with these very racist people that don't hide the dog whistles really really quietly rotten hell it's um, Scalia yeah uh, some form or some control of the Negro population must be devised in the place of slavery so as to introduce the Negro to his new freedom. The power of the national government had been greatly expanded by war. This expansion must be consolidated so that in the future secession it must be consolidated so that in the future secession will be impossible and slavery never reestablished. Hmm, again, these not-so-thinly-veiled dog whistles about people being federalists yep. or people wanting small government, which I, we already talked about the small government thing because that's just the, the plantation owners not wanting to be taxed to pay for schools for black people. But, it, I mean, it also goes in here, right? You know, when people say don't they don't want big government or they want states' rights, well, I, we know the states' right is slavery. It's also a states' right to secession to preserve slavery. Um. That difficulty with his legalistic formula was that it did not cling to facts. Slavery was not abolished even after the 13th Amendment. Shocker! Mm-hmm. There, there were four million freedmen, and most of them on the same plantation, doing the same work that they did before emancipation, except as their work had been interrupted and changed by upheaval of war. Moreover, they were getting about the same wages and apparently were going to be subject to slave codes modified only in name. There were among them thousands of fugitives in the camps of soldiers or on the streets of the cities, homeless, sick, and impoverished. They had been freed practically with no land or money and saved in exceptional cases without legal status and without protection. Negroes deserved not only the pity of the world, but the gratitude of both South and North. Under extraordinary provocation, they had acted like decent human beings. They had protected their masters' families when their masters were away fighting for black slavery. They did this naturally because they were not sure that the North was fighting for freedom and because they did not know which side would win. But at any rate, they did it. And even when they understood that the North, willing or unwilling, was bound towards freedom and that they could fight for their own freedom, they were neither vindictive Vindictive. nor cruel or vindictive, sorry, or nor cruel toward their former masters. Sorry, it was split yeah, into two lines. Yeah, through words me suck. Uh, although they were quite naturally widely accused of laziness and impudence, which are the only weapons of offense with a, which a rising social class can mm-hmm. easily use. These black men wanted freedom. They wanted education. They wanted protection. They had been of great help to the Union armies, and help had been given under stress. Black soldiers had been outlawed and in many cases ruthlessly murdered by the enemy who refused to regard them as soldiers or as human. They took chances every time they put on a uniform, yet after the war, they were still not free. They were still practically slaves, and how was their freedom to be made a fact? It could be done only one way. They must have the protection of law 
protection of law, and back of law must stand physical force. They must have land. They must have education. How was all this to be done? And oh my God, just those last two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. I just I, I so this is page one eighty eight, bottom one eighty eight, tar to page one eighty nine. Keep those two paragraphs. I mean, just handy. Just print them off. Hand them out. If someone wants to see the proof behind it, they can read the first, what was it, six chapters Give of the book. And and Dr. Du Bois lays it out very well. But just print that off and just post it. I mean, everywhere public until people, I mean, and hand it out to people, get it out to people as much as possible. Those are the most concise, accurate paragraphs. And and they, they just lay it out so well, so well how it was. And yet all we're handed is this white savior Lincoln gave them freedom and we gave you freedom and, and we abolished slavery racist bullshit. Well, that's why it, you know, it's racist. Racism is to uphold the system. It wasn't white people that came in and saved them and they haven't been saved. Okay. It was black people who fought for their own freedom and then had it snatched back away by the same system because they didn't completely destroy it because they were fighting focused for their freedom and thought they had defeated it and were in a very unfair situation doing the best they could. Uh, Lincoln tried hard in the border states long before the end of the war to get voluntary emancipation and pay for the slaves so that a new system of labor under favorable circumstances could be arranged. The border states would have none of it. The war ended in anarchy as always as war always ends. The cost had been so great that there could be no thought of pay for the slaves, even on the part of the South, after the first flush of reconstruction. There was no possibility of paying for capital destroyed in other ways or of quickly restoring the neglected land and tools. Thus, by the sheer logic of facts, there arose in the United States a clear and definite program for the freedom and uplift of the Negro and for the extension of the realization of democracy. Some of the men who had this vision were identified with the new industry, but saw no incongruity or opposition between their ideas or between the rise and expansion of tariff-protected corporations and their equally sincere beliefs in democratic methods. Others were not identified with industry at all. There were some of them rich men supported by incomes derived from industry. Most of them were poor men earning a salary. Some of them were laborers. These men started from the abolitionist point of view. Slavery was wrong because it reduced human beings to the level of animals. The abolition of slavery meant not simply abolition of legal ownership of the slave. It meant uplift of the slaves into their eventual incorporation into the body, civil, politic, and social of the United States. I really, really think Franz Fanon would like uh, the ring of that sentence. I think I think he definitely might have read this work once or twice. Yeah. Uh, there was, of course, much difference as to the exact extent of this incorporation, but less and less desire to limit it in any way by law. The Negro must have civil rights as a citizen. He must eventually have political rights like every other citizen in the United States. And while social rights could not be a matter of legislation, they, on the other hand, must not be denied through legislation but remain a matter of free individual choice. This outlook and theory of abolitionists received tremendous impetus of the war. Those who had been classed as fanatics who had been left out of society and of the respected and mobbed Northeast and West suddenly became the moral justification by which the North marched to victory. All of the great literature of the Civil War was based mainly upon human freedom, and insofar as it stressed the Union, it had to make it liberty and union. War songs and war stories, the war... A flattus? Flattus? Yeah, I don't know yeah. what that means. Uh, we're based on the, I guess it just the war march. It must mean, it seems to be, I don't know that Not word. Uh, we're, we're based on the freedom of slaves. Just as in the world war, we mobilize the mass of mankind in, 
in a war to end war and to promote the freedom and union of nations. So again, you know, th- this is talking about the abolitionists and their moral standing and how they became front and center. Like uh, at first they were, they were, you know, the outcasts, the, the stupid, crazy radicals. You could never get this. And next thing you know, they're the main cause. They're they're front and center. They're the stars. But it's the people taking these causes, and it's people that are taking this cause, and they're going to take it. It's as the voice just laid out in name only. You know what does these legal rights mean? With no material rights, no material equality, nothing about the base economics and base power behind it as much as the civil rights are, which speaks really well to the moment. Again, you know, at first prison abolitionists are, are crazy people, and now. You burn down a few police stations, and every street corner's got Black Lives Matter painted well, yeah. on on the Compromise street. Compromise one, uh, but they're they're making sure to to take that in name only, and to move it to like you know little blocks on the screen during the DNC, and then nominate the crime bill writer and a cop versus the overt pro cop fascist and his you know gay person torturing super duper cop vice president buddy um so i mean this is this is why rights have to be substantial and this again speaks well to something the stuff we've spoken about a long time where you know you hear about stuff like the international criminal court well who's never tried in the international criminal court who can't be it was (laughs) very fun today i i'm sure obviously for all the reasons that she gets canceled but sort of in the same way we kind of go back it was for whatever reason jane fonda was popping up on twitter a bunch today and it, oh, God. it was just yeah. very funny, just very matter-of-factly in the 70s, just like, oh, yeah, no, every member of the administration and the last administration are all war criminals. Like, we we ratified what is yeah. a war crime, and then we did all of them there, back-to-back. Why are none of them being tried? There are so many times Jane Fonda was verbally and vocally right in the 70s, and so many times from the 70s on through now that she gets arrested for it. And yet, so little change that happens for it, and so much of her getting arrested mm-hmm. is is made equal to, like, you or me or especially you know a person of color getting arrested as if it's the same thing and she's not just going to get released the next day with a a, no disruption to her work life and a fine she can afford so you know there's so many ways in which she's a breath of fresh air and so many ways where she's just another liberal celebrity that shouldn't be put on a pedestal don't put anyone on a pedestal but Um, it is just fun again it is if it but she has at least towed the correct it line. It would be interesting can you think of a liberal can you think of a liberal celebrity now that would get work uh, that could go out and say that every member of this administration and the past one were war criminals. Yeah, no, I mean the Ain't closest one uh, is is going to be uh, Boyega, and he's not he's not actually American. He's I was about to say he's also know. English. Uh, yeah, he's got his own thing. No, he's yeah. good. I, I was just saying so, it's, it is nice to. It was nice to see. Yeah, it was fun. So anyway, yeah, I mean, there, there's not to say there's no celebrities, you know, there's a few smaller ones um, who take a very good moral stance. You know, the one that comes to mind for sure is is no name. Um, but and not that Jane Fonda was the biggest celebrity ever, but just not a lot of big celebrities. And when you go into to music, not every musician has taken a great stance, but at least there's the room to take that risk. You get into acting and there, yeah, there's just not that, exist that room. Yeah, no. Uh, that being said. Moreover, the new abolition democracy that came after the war had a tremendous and unexpected source and method of propaganda, and that lay in the crusade of the New England school marm. The annals school marm huh? school marm. I don't know. I don't know what school marm. Uh, is. That was traditionally the person that like like in a one room school or something like that. That was the school marm was like the teacher, the the person that ran the school. 
Because in a one-room school, you don't have grades okay. and teachers and all the stuff. You have one admi- educator gotcha. person teaching school. Mom. I'm pretty. I mean, gotcha. you can, I, okay. someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I that that term, I'm almost positive that's where it comes from. I also have a teacher. Okay, no, I know. I just I didn't know. I have what a teacher was, for a so. wife, so I don't know. Maybe that's me. Um, the annals of this ninth crusade are yet to be written. The tale of a mission that seemed to our age far more quixotic. I know. Quixote. See, that's, I've always, I know it's from like Don, Don Quixote. Quixote. I know it's from Don Quixote. Quixote. All right, so Quixote. Then the quest of St. Louis. What? Huh? What happened? Where'd we go? Why did we, how did we end up in the loo? Um, seemed to his. <laughs> Behind the mist of ruin and rapine waved the calico dress of women who dared, and after the hoarse mouthings of the field guns rang the rhythm of the alphabet. Rich and poor, they were serious and curious. Bereaved now of a father, now of a brother, now of more than these, they came seeking a life work in planting the New England schoolhouse among the white and black of the South. They did their work well. In that first year, they taught 100,000 souls and more. Here, for the first time, there was established between white and black of this country a contact on terms of essential social equality and mutual respect. There had been contact between Negroes and white people in the Old South, and in some cases, contact of beautiful friendship and even warm love and affection. But this was spasmodic and exceptional and had to be partially concealed. And always it was spoiled by the sense of inferiority on the part of the Negro and the will to rule on the part of the whites. But in a thousand schools of the South after the war were brought together the most eager of the emancipated blacks and that part of the North which believed in democracy. And this social contact of human beings became a matter of course. The results were of all sorts. Sometimes the teachers became disgusted. Sometimes the students became sullen and impudent. But on the whole, the result was one of the most astonishing successes in new and sudden human contacts. We must also remember that the population of the 60s was divided into church congregations, and the great majority of these Methodist, where yeah, Methodist, Baptist, Baptist Congressional, yeah, Presbyterian, Methodist. and Quaker congregations in the North were represented directly or indirectly in the South after the war by one of their members who reported the work that she, and it was usually she, was doing with colored people. This work, to an unusual degree, was so successful and so helpful that her words carried widespread conviction. Feels like the missionaries coming back during church and explaining all the good, all the good we're doing in Africa. Look at we, us now. Yeah, we we went down to the south to the black people and and we educated them. Aren't, aren't and it's we always the good, the good stories the and it but, always, but it always again it makes you feel it makes them feel yeah. better about what they're doing, even though they've taken no part in it, kind of a thing. Yeah, but on the positive note, you know, according to Boyce, that that was, was one of the great successes, mm-hmm. which leads into the whole point and and reason that they pushed so hard immediately after this for um. Now I can't think of the word separation. Segregation? Segregation. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Leave it to Nathan to never forget <laughs> about be- segregation. <laughs> At the beginning of the war, probably not one white American in a hundred believed that Negroes could become an integral part of the American democracy. They were slaves and cowards, ignorant by nature and not by lack of teaching. Even if they were going to be freed, they must be got rid of or rid of the land themselves. During the war came the first real revulsion of feeling when it was found that Negroes could and would fight, were apt subjects for military discipline and indispensable in the conduct of war. Beyond that came the change in the feeling with the rise of schools all over the South 
showed that the Negro would and could learn. There might be continued doubt as the extent of the learning and the height of which a race could rise, but nobody in that day of widespread immigration from Europe could doubt that the Negro was capable of at least as much education as the ordinary northern laborer. Present America has no concept of cogency of this argument. In 1865, the right of all free Americans to be voters was unquestioned, and it had not been questioned since the time of Andrew Jackson, except in the case of women where it interfered with sex ownership. The burden of proof. Yeah, I mean, just huh? uh, uh, by the way, it, we, we were misogynistic. Just you don't uh, say. It, by were, I mean are, of course. Um, the burden of proof lay with a man who had said there could be in the United States four or five million Americans without the right to vote. What would they be? What status would they hold? Would they not inevitably be slaves in spite of the fact that they were called free? There were, to, to be sure, northern states which would not allow Negroes to vote. But many of the northern states did, and most of those did not have comparatively few Negroes. The whole argument against Negro suffrage, even in those states, had been based on the status of the slave in the South. When the slave became free, a new problem was staged for such northern states. Two men stand in the forefront of this new attempt to expand and implement democracy, Charles Sumner and Thaddeus Stevens. Our boys! Our boys, Chuck and Thaddeus, back at it. <laughs> Chuck and Thad, back in the room, back at it. <laughs> Uh, Sumner had been fighting steadily, not simply against slavery, but for the manhood rights of the free Negro. Ever since he entered Congress, by amending the act of March 3rd, 1863, he stopped discrimination on streetcars between Washington and Alexandria, and by the act of March 3rd, 1865, extended this to all the railways of the district. June 25th, 1864, by amending an appropriation bill, he stopped discrimination in the United States courts, a result which he called the most important of all establishing the manhood and citizenship of the colored people. For this result, I have labored two years. I do love years. how, as always, going again back to the dawn of uh, stupid American political history, he uh, he managed just mm-hmm. to end discrimination in the U.S. court system by amending an appropriation bill. <laughs> At yeah, the time-honored <laughs> tradition of how you ram through legislation. See, the Democrats used to understand how to fucking use tactics here, people. They used to have it when Thad and Charles were rocking it out there. Conversely, you've got to love how democratic this democracy oh, is. Yeah. Love love those democracies and freedoms gotta we love all them. have. Um, he fought for equal pay to the Negro soldiers and finally secured a favorable decision of the attorney general. In 1863 to 1864, he fought unsuccessfully against white suffrage in the new territory of Montana. He fought against unsuccessfully uh, against white suffrage. What do the whites need suffraging from? What have white people ever needed suffraging? I think he was trying to stop the suffrage, like the right to vote, and it, it, basically the Montana becoming a state um, with white only voting. Like and, you're going to include everyone okay, in voting or nobody. Make, okay, all right. So they're basically trying to yeah. integrate and say, and no black people will be allowed. And he's like, ah, uh-uh, fuck you. Yeah. Hey, you remember how we have this tradition of if we just shut up and let Du Bois talk, he'll tell us. He tried to include colored citizens among the voters of the city of Washington, but lost again. Again, see, those are different. This, those are different clauses. Well, okay, different clauses. Fair, fair, fair. At this moment of revolution, and this is a quote now: "When our country needs the blessing of Almighty God and the strong arms of all her children, this is not the time for us to solemnly enact injustice. In duty to our country and in duty to God, I plead against any such thing." We must be against slavery in its original shape and in all its brood of prejudice and error. Hell yeah. So basically, like, 
we got to be against slavery and all of this other racist bullshit. Like, Again, you know, Thaddy, Thaddy and Chuck screwed up by being these free market douchebags that could not make real substantial equality but that's because they were so ideologically tied to that at least they're like intention uh, humanization of black people Put, is good and they really fucking this is the thing it. again are any of them great no but if there's one no, thing we need no, to be doing no. let's just work on putting instead of let, let, let's make our first step instead of putting linko up on this hill let's get thad and chuck up there Let's get that and Chuck yeah. up as the, the guys that are actually pushing for the abolition as opposed to giving it to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. That's not, let, let's, you know, mm-hmm. give the credit where the credit is due here. So, you know, we, we'll make yeah. baby steps with your people that watch the West Wing. Um, just just convince them that Stevens <laughs> and Sumner are better than Linko. That's all you got. That's step one. I I do not want to know what Aaron Sorkin would do to Thaddeus. Uh, Shut up. And Burn Sumner. this episode. Cut that up. Epi- <laughs> cut that out because he's going to. Oh, my God. He did. Wait a minute. No, Spielberg did the Lincoln movie. I bet you Thaddy and Chuck are in there and they did them dirty. I bet you he did them dirty. Um, I watched a Lincoln movie that was supposed to be about Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln Vampire Hunter is not a Lincoln movie. I don't know how to break this to you, David. We've had this conversation no, actually, so many times. Uh, I can't. And I can't remember which of the two, if it was Thaddy or it was Chuck. I think it was Thaddy. And they actually made the story about him and and uh, Tommy Lee Jones was, was him. And it oh, was well, really, that, it that was would be surprisingly the Spielberg good. Lincoln, I'm sure it sounds like. Yeah, um, it was it was surprisingly good and, and a lot more historically accurate than I thought. Um, and obviously, Lincoln's not like the wet rag that he actually hmm. was, but he's not up on the pedestal. OK, that you I was about to say, are they bringing up a him? side character and a moderate? Are they bringing bag. up him trying uh, to send everybody to South America, but failing because he didn't have enough boats? <laughs> no. They didn't bring up that or the 10% plan. There's mm. no $100 gift cards to Applebee's or 10% then plan. And I'm going with not but historically it's about accurate. about as accurate as you could be without getting there. And a lot of the movies centered on, I swear nope, to God, Tommy Lee Jones, Jones is Thaddeus getting Stevens. second billing as Thaddeus Stevens. All right, maybe. Yeah. Right. And a lot of it focused on him on the Senate floor. He was, was he in the no, House no, or the Thad, Senate? Thad was, in the, Thad was in the Senate. Uh, Sumner was in the House. Okay. Uh, that's what. Okay. So it, a lot of it focused him on the senate floor speaking his mind mm. sticking up and taking shit from the the slaving here's a problem that senators. will probably keep me from uh in, ingesting this movie is uh james spader is in it as a man named wn bilbo and i refuse to watch a movie about american history that involves a man named bilbo so bilbo Bil- baggins bilbo. american senator WN bilbo out there <laughs> also still haven't seen anybody playing our good friend uh sumner who uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it is better than Stevens. I'm, I'm going to make it a bold stance. Some are, some are more important. Fair, fair. But I still, again, I was I was surprised right. by how well the movie represented because I didn't have very high expectations That's, because Hollywood. I can't, I can't argue so, with you. I can't argue with you. Um, so Abraham Lincoln Fellowship of the Ring, pretty decent. Ooh, good so. luck with that, Alan Mart. All right. <laughs> Clip art it up, baby. Clip art it up. Uh Four years later, Senator Doolittle said that Sumner had always been in favor of pushing Negro suffrage. He was the originator of that notion. He is the master of that new school of reconstruction. Here it goes to you saying Sumner better than Fatty. That you just you just got immediate hat tip, Nathan. Boom, well done. Boom, boom. Uh, in December 1864, Sumner sketched an anti-slavery amendment. This was adopted by the American Anti-Slavery Society and early in the session moved by Ashley of Ohio and Wilson of Iowa in the House, Henderson of Missouri in the Senate. We hey, did a Wilson thing. Uh, we did a good thing. That's pretty Never rare happens. around we'll the Civil War with Missouri. 
Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> let's let's not talk about who Jesse James fought for in the Civil War and how much he still gets marketed around Merrimack cabinets. Yeah, um, Sumner yielded to Trumbull, who adopted the formula of the Ordinance of eight, 1787, which finally became the 13th Amendment in 1865. The Ordinance of 1787 finally became the 13th Amendment in 1865. You want to talk about American history? Look at that 80 fucking year gap. Jesus Christ. Uh, Sumner secured a special committee on slavery and freedmen in the Senate in January 1864 and became the chairman. He introduced a bill to repeal all fugitive slave laws, and the committee reported it. It was opposed by both Democratic and Republican senators. It was amended so as to save the law of 1793, and the committee dropped it. Two months later, a House bill reached the Senate, and Sumner reported it. Salisbury of Delaware wanted one day without the oh, yeah, slur for Negro. Um, well, uh, the bill was finally passed 27 to 12, and Lincoln signed it June 28, 1864. Hey, Lincoln signed something. I thought <laughs> we shot him that. by now. <laughs> when do we shoot that we're man? doing tarantino like um, <laughs> jumps forward and backward with whether or not lincoln is or is not dead and i was gonna say since since he we are talking in reference to lincoln getting shot that is very tarantino this is the historically accurate quentin tarantino version of lincoln's assassination it's all 700 pages that's, that's what it's about that, i mean that tracks. Um, you didn't know that but secretly that's what it now, is Now, also i'm uh, gonna so go anyway. out and say this uh, i just looked up the entire cast of the lincoln movie uh charles sumner ends up nowhere so steven spielberg you're canceled fuck you leaving out my hero <laughs> chucky sumner <laughs> Uh, Sumner indeed assumed a mighty task and one realized at it as he stood February 5th, 1866 before the Senate of the United States, before all the representatives that could crowd into the hall and before the audience, including the whole nation and in some degree, the whole world. He spoke four hours on two consecutive Damn. days. Public public interest was intense. The galleries of the Senate were crowded and there were no, a number of colored people, including Frederick Douglass and Henry Highland Garnett. The voice of the speaker was solemn and earnest. His style and presence held the audience to every word. Rarely, if ever, did he make a deeper impression in the Senate or awaken a wider interest in the country. Thomas Wentworth Higginson found nothing in contemporary statesmanship here or abroad to equal the speech. And when Sumner sat down, the audience broke into applause. Charles Sumner was at the time 55 years of age, handsome, but heavy of carriage, a scholar and a gentleman, no leader of men, but a leader of thought, and one of the finest examples of New England culture and American courage. His speech laid down a Magna Carta of democracy in America. Before we get into the quote, I just got to say, I've never heard scholar and a gentleman outside of thanking someone for something. I've also never seen Magna Carta (laughs) written as Magna Charta. uh, That is a new one for me. But I was not about also, to say Magna I am, Charta. I knew that was I am, I am Magna enjoying Carta. this image contrasting this to Black Bolshevik of this is Sumner's uh, Trotsky on when he's defending himself thing, <laughs> except it actually goes well and you're rooting for the guy. Um, it's it's a good time. Right, it's good. Well, I mean, when you're actually on the, the good moral side. Yeah. Let's not wait in on whether Trotsky was better or worse than Charles Sumner. I feel like we're going to have a weird comparison there. <laughs> yeah there is ezekiel elliott there's, better there's than lebron james let's debate i don't have any comparison points uh, yeah look i feel like i feel like now we're starting to get into that like left right scale not always being a oh. good 
equal plane of measure uh-huh. talk as soon as we go uh-huh. into that. So let's uh, so let's, let's just get, not do that. Let's get back into this this fun well, quote about the Magna, the Magna Charta of America. Well, actually, let's let's not get into the fun quote about the Magna Charta. Oh, guys, let's come back next time for a fun quote about the Magna oh, Charta. You. I am, but it's a very, here's the problem. And I'm, I'm doing this for you guys. This, no, I'm sorry. You scholar and a gentleman. This is coming up. Uh, Thank you for this cutting is us off. at least four, five, six. The next episode may literally be an entire episode of us reading a Charles Sumner quote. It is literally like <laughs> six pages. It's supposed to be riveting, it's, though. We've, I mean, we've we're going to stand up it. and cheer at the end of it, I've been told. Um, and uh, there's no way I want to cut that off in between. And we're at time anyway. So I really, you know, I have no I have no, uh, no shame about cutting us off here. But next week, come back for uh, Nathan and David. Try and look up what Charles Sumner voice would sound like and uh, and just read read that <laughs> verbatim. Um, this is going to be the worst impression. We're of not going to do that at all, guys. I'm just telling you right now. Don't get excited for that. I'm just going to I'm just going to do a weird uh, thing where I look. Also, look up that uh, Lincoln movie and then look up uh, Tommy Lee Jones playing Thaddeus Stevens and then laugh your ass off because he looks so goofy. He looks so oh, he, wrong. He, again, I actually watched this movie. This is how I knew the surprising the surprising putting Thaddeus Stevens ahead of Lincoln. Um and yeah, no, he he looked like a goofy shit, and you cannot look at it and go, "That's Tommy Lee Jones." Like you can't not. No, do it's that, bad. Which is very, it's perplexing. very bad. It's, yeah. it's it's the guy from Men in Black, but wearing a stupid wig and hanging out with uh, Lincoln. It's <laughs> he's gonna wipe the memory of slavery, I mean, re- <laughs> and then you're gonna jump out of a dam. God damn it! That being said, it has been a hot second since we've done a disclaimer, and so before we get into the fun, uh, before we get into the fun and excite, I don't know if it has been. It might have been last week, guys. I don't pay attention. Yeah, I think I we don't did last care. Week. We're doing it again That's this okay. week. We'll figure We're it out. Do it as many times as we need to do it until until everyone's heard it. So that being said, David, what is the ideal use case of this podcast? Uh, yeah. So obviously, this podcast kind of started on accident because me and Nathan wanted to read a book, but we immediately had a purpose. And uh, as the world burns out there, we need to uh, make sure we understand this purpose. Uh, first and foremost, we hope you are in a party or an organization. Always encourage you to be in one. And as you're doing that work, hopefully that party organization is doing some kind of group reading, political education, whatever you may call it. And you are doing this book at the same time. And this podcast can be an enhancement of that. Can give you extra context. Can give you someone else to go over it with you just to help you better understand that theory because a deep understanding of the theory is important. Um, save that if you were just reading the book on your own because say, you know, the organization's political education or reading group is doing something else. You know, maybe your political uh, education isn't reading a 700 page book on the history of reconstruction. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's chance. like a, you know, a two page Mao thing. And then <laughs> this, this is separate work for you. Um, if that's the case, uh, hopefully, you know, we can be your reading group. We can give you that enhancement, that context, um, so that we're not just complimentary, but we're supplementary for that, that reading group for you and save that. If we're either just an enhanced ebook, uh, in these books where we basically reword for word like this one or your cliff notes in the books, we summarize whatever we can do to make these works more accessible. And remember the point of these works, the point of any theory is for action, for revolution to go out and experiment in real time. And that experimentation should always serve the people. So remember that praxis uh, is theory and action and action. Uh, I'm sorry, praxis theory and action. So it's nothing without theory and theory is for the enhancement of praxis. And uh, so they should go hand in hand. They're tied at the hip. They should never be separated. 
And uh, I'm going to start quibbling with us calling ourselves an enhanced audiobook because I'm not sure how much our our yelling about Bilbo um, is okay. A distracted is, is, audiobook, <laughs> an audiobook with detours is, is probably more uh, an audiobook with occasional breaks for yelling about hockey. Um, but that. Uh, that that being said, also uh, back on Bilbo, I was looking up because they did a little yes. thing where they showed all the characters next to uh, their their historical counterparts. And one people mm-hmm. just people just looked so, sort of silly in the eighteen hundreds. Guys, come on, they had, the eyebrow game was not not oh, yeah. under control. Um, but what I do appreciate that we brought up Lord of the Rings and all of the beards in Lord of the Rings probably match an eighteen hundreds. I wish no, they don't. They're all they're, the the beards are all on their eyebrows. It's all eyebrow beards. It's craziness up there. Um, <laughs> eyebrow beards and mutton shots. But for Bilbo again. They have all, all their character there next to the picture. For this Bilbo guy, his signature, just his signature. We don't even have a picture of this guy. Why <laughs> is this guy in the movie? And why is James Spader playing him? I need to know these facts. Things I will not search out on my own. So, uh, you know, if you would like to tell me, because you're smarter than I am and know who this Bilbo character is and why he deserved a place in the movie, you can email that answer to us at uh, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. If you are the seventh person to email me that, I will let you know that you were the seventh person to email me that. Um, if you would like to communicate with me in a, uh, a more interactive manner on the hell site uh, and, and David too, because David sees those, you can absolutely uh, yeah. hit us up at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Um, that's that's where we will tweet uh, very uh, random video game screenshots of our episodes because that's the uh, mood we're in right now because uh, we found that generator and we're going to beat it to death. Uh, if you would prefer to have an ongoing discussion in a long form, more of a, more of a, just a kind of a place to hang out and, and do some stuff. And, uh, you know, just talk to comrades back and forth, kind of banter as you, as you want, to, as you want to do come into the discord. We, we live in dumb and awful's discord server, which is another show that are great. Their comrades, they hang out. Um, but yeah, the way I'm in there, I, I, I'm, I'm always pretty active. I think I can never be out of there for more than a day. Uh, we're, we're playing video games. We're doing fun stuff. Maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe there's something that you would like to bring up to the group. And then you, there's a special place and you know where to go there. You get in the suit. You'll know where to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every every solstice I show every, up. Yes. On on the blood moon, um, if the if the sacrifices have been made and the gods are appeased, um, David ascend, descends from the heavens, gives us four walls of text with 87 typos and then leaves like a Krampus just in the night so that no one no one we're never quite sure if he's there or not. Um, but he, he will appear, uh, when summoned properly. Uh, that being said, this has been Mark's madness. Uh, we will talk to you all next week. My name has been Nathan. My name's David. Bye. Bye.